Welcome, everyone, to It's a Rap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features extraordinary people who do special things to enrich our lives and people who have overcome major challenges and adversities in their lives to come out on top, as well as people who can educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Brenda Curry-Lewis. She is an author. She authored uh, the book that was featured on our Facebook page, A Twisted Fate, My Life with Dystonia, and has lived with generalized dystonia since 1974, when she was seven years old. She is 54 year old, year, 54 years old now. Mm-hmm. Dystonia is a neurological movement disorder that causes muscles to contract and spasm involuntarily. The neurological mechanism that makes muscles relax when they are not in use does not function properly. Dystonia is the third most common movement disorder next only to Parkinson's and tremor. While it is a chronic disorder, the overwhelming majority of cases are not fatal. Estimates suggest that no fewer than 300,000 people in North America are affected. Brenda's torso is twisted and her left hip continually straightens and twists inward. Therefore, her left leg refuses to stay on the foot pedal of her wheelchair. Her leg demands to stick out to the side, whether whether she is sitting or standing, and gets in the way. Her left knee needs to straighten too, and her foot clenches quite vigorously most of the time. Her left shoulder and arm have a permanent tremor. When people ask about her condition and she tells them she has a rare neurological disorder called dystonia, they usually draw a blank. She is with us to tell her story and advocate for awareness to dystonia. Welcome, Brenda, to the podcast. Thank you, Ron. Good to see you. So glad to have you. Uh, Could you briefly describe your early years uh, prior to within three months after your seventh birthday? What life was uh, like for you? Oh, it was was a normal childhood. I was... uh, I was curious, I was loving the outdoors, I was getting involved in activities like every other able-bodied child, and life was pretty good, pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we had wonderful summer holidays and and, uh, cold winters up here in Canada, (laughs) and, uh, but they were good. Everything was going along pretty good. <laughs> Edmonton, Alberta. Right. Yep. Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful country. Yeah. Can, can you be born with dystonia and can it be hereditary? Well, you, you can be born with it. Um, symptoms don't usually show up um, until you're, you know, I think it's five to 13 is the average age. If you are going to get generalized dystonia, that's usually the, the, the years that the symptoms will show themselves. Uh, so every, everything, by the way, I say, by the way, there's an exception to every rule, but yes, you can be born with it, yes, <laughs> if it's hereditary. Brenda, describe to us what started happening to you at age seven and three months, and what was the family's reaction? Okay, well, you know, I, I was, I, you know, I was kind of clumsy. I started being very clumsy, and my my left foot, I kind of started walking on the outside edge of my foot, and then I was pigeonholed, and. Uh, I, I remember this only from my mom's recollections, but uh, they would see me walking and I, I started getting a little more clumsy than usual. And, uh, and uh, yeah, my foot was turning in and my mom would slap my leg and look at my leg and move it and ask me why I was doing this. And I had no, no answer for her. And, uh, so as the summer progressed, it got worse. So the first day of school of grade two, I was, uh, I was in a doctor's office. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but my family, yeah, they you know, could tell something was up, but no one, no one knew what it was or how serious it was. And 
life just had to go on. But yeah, so yeah. What but things were getting tough physically, yes. What was the process like uh, to get it diagnosed correctly? And tell us what many people are told by a doctor who doesn't know what it is and approximately how long does it take to get a correct diagnosis in today's world? Okay, well, you know, things really haven't progressed as they should have since 1974. Uh, for me, it was very unusual and I was very lucky. And I was diagnosed, the symptoms started in about started July of that summer. And uh, we started going from doctor to doctor and uh, they had no idea what was wrong. And, and uh, one doctor just said, oh, it's ligament damage in your knee. And they rolled me up in gauze and sent me home. <laughs> that didn't, uh, didn't uh, help anything. And so finally, one doctor just told my mom I was looking for attention and to go home, and, and I'd I'd grow out of it. And wow. my mom, my mom knew that wasn't the case. She knew it better than that. She had that motherly instinct, huh? She did. She yeah. did. And she's quite a quite a feisty woman, and wouldn't settle for that. So. Uh, luckily, we had a, a, a relative who was a doctor who knew a pediatric neurologist, and my mom was talking to him and saying that we had we had an appointment with this doctor, but it was months down the road. But he, we knew him, and he said, "Oh well, I think I can pull some strings here and get you a, a, a appointment right away." And she did. He did, and. Uh, he admitted me into the hospital right then and there and uh, did extensive tests, x-rays and EEGs and everything to rule everything out. And after two weeks of testing, um, he was able to say um, that I had dystonia. And I, again, I was very lucky because he had actually seen a case or two in his life, in his career that yeah. far and was able to, uh, to recognize the movements and the pulling of the muscles and he rolled everything else out. And I, I was called dystonia musculorum deformans. That's the full name for generalized dystonia. And uh, my mom didn't know whether to laugh or cry, she said, because <laughs> she had no idea what it would mean for me. And he said, well, you can laugh because it's not going to kill me and it's not a tumor. But besides that, he couldn't really say what my future would hold. So, right, right. Yeah. Uh, you stated in the book, which I read, and I recommend the book to everyone. It's a great book. Okay. Uh, you stated that every case is so different, yet very much the same. Yes. Uh, what, what did you mean by that? Well, if anyone will tell you their story, and everyone will, they are uh, uh, getting their dystonia. There are different types of it. You can get it in all different parts of your body. And there's always a common thread of, you know, their whatever uh, part of the body it would start at. It was pulling and twisting and getting very embarrassed and not wanting to go out in public and, and, uh, and going to doctors who will say, you know, oh, there's nothing wrong or it's too much stress or you're, it's all in your head and uh, just go home. And <laughs> when you're told that enough times, you start to believe it and you alienate yourself from from going out because you don't want people staring at you and you don't know what's wrong. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, the symptom and, and, and the reaction you'll get from, from the medical community is very much the same. But, you know, everyone is very individualized with their symptoms, um, intensity and what way your body is, is pulled, um, it's just everyone's different. 
Right, yeah. right. And, and I can relate to a lot of this. I, I, I'm a male breast cancer survivor yes. uh, and we, we advocate and a lot of, we go through the same thing, you know, where some of the doctors just poo-poo it off, you know, and they'll say, it's not, you know, it's nothing, it's a cyst or whatever, a calcium buildup. And we've had instances like that. So I can relate. I can relate. And, and we're a rare disease and, and, and so are you. Uh, tell us about your school years, coping, getting around, and how were you received by your peers as the dystonia progressed? Okay. Well, that first year was very difficult in school. Um, I was now in grade two and the, <laughs> the second grade classes were all on the second floor. And uh, I uh, tried and wanted to be as independent as I could and just drag myself up the stairs, you know, uh, you know, with a foot that was doing what I wanted to do and wouldn't uh, do what I wanted to do. And I'd be just driving and pulling myself up the handrail up to my class. And, and of course I was getting uh, attention from my, my symptoms and my attention I didn't want. <laughs> and uh, I remember I used to walk to school with a friend every day in grade one. And in grade two, she didn't want to be seen with me. So she'd walk on the other side, side, side of the street and uh, that confused me and uh and stuff like that was starting to happen and uh you really notice differences yeah and, uh, yeah and uh i you know the other kids had known me when i was perfectly physically able and now i wasn't and it's yeah. confusing for all of us i think sure. yeah yeah so can you, can you briefly tell us uh, about your nine, and I repeat, nine brain surgeries at a young age, uh, the result and the effect on your family? Okay. Well, I had a brain surgery called a thalamotomy. Um, quickly, um, there, there is a brain surgery that they do today. It's uh, different, but it... Um, it wasn't around in the 70s when I required it, but um, uh, yeah, I, it required sticking a probe into my brain and they would try target a certain area of the brain and I would have to be awake for it because they would send a little tingle through a certain area of the body and if that tingle was in the area that was was where my dystonia was acting up. They would, you know, freeze those cells, kill them, and hopefully, you know, take the symptoms away. And the first one did no good. And the second one, I had great results, but only for a day or two, and things went back to where they were. And then uh, we went home. Uh, and then I went back and did the same thing again. And they hit a blood vessel in my brain and that caused a stroke-like uh, reaction on my right side. So <laughs> they were all pretty devastated about that. But um, in the long run, it was a godsend because it took away my dystonic symptoms. But uh, then we thought, well, okay, I'm on the right track again i'll have a limp and all the rest of it but let me take a moment out of the podcast to mention the care project inc a nonprofit organization created by carrie madrid of riverside california who is herself a breast cancer survivor and a past guest on this podcast the care project inc provides emotional and financial support for both male and female breast cancer patients the CARE Project realizes that while patients are undergoing or recovering from treatment, most cannot work full-time and therefore their incomes are significantly less than usual. This means that everyday necessities become luxuries. The CARE Project aims to help 
with those very needs so the patient can focus on healing. Some of the ways the CARE Project helps financially is by issuing grants for utility bills and rental assistance, Uber, Lyft, or fuel cards to help with transportation to and from treatments, emotional support by offering a survivor's social club for those going through and recovering from treatment, a survivor-patient mentoring program, and health and wellness classes and workshops. While the CARE Project wishes it could financially support breast cancer patients everywhere, financial support is limited to Southern California with Riverside and San Bernardino counties as their first priority. Carrie has also written a new book titled Handle with Care, Your Breast Cancer Support Group in a Book. The book is a portable support group with voices of experience from those that have been there. The book is a valuable resource not only for those dealing with a breast cancer diagnosis, but for their family members, friends, and those playing support roles. 100% of the proceeds from the sale of the book go to the Care Project, Inc. The book is available on Amazon in both Kindle format and paperback. Links to the Care Project and the book will be listed in the podcast notes. You know, get back to walking and life could resume. And my mom noticed that my left foot was now starting to do what my right foot had started to do a year or two earlier. So they uh, operated on the other side of my brain. And I don't really know what happened, but ever since I woke up from that surgery, I've had a tremor in my shoulder and my arm that. Uh, limits me in some ways and not others so um yeah we were we were told this surgery was really the only option for me because medications really weren't doing a whole lot and there isn't really a a uh, oral medication that will help generalized dystonia yeah. and i you know wasn't getting a lot of help so i we had this surgery but um but it had its, <laughs> its positives and its negatives. Yeah. yeah. And that all happened within a space of about two years. I had nine of those surgeries. So, so that's nine surgeries mm-hmm. in, in two years. Yeah. And what and what age were you when that when that was going on? I was probably between eight and ten. Yes. Between eight and ten. Eight and ten, yes. So you had so many ups and downs with the surgical procedures at such a young age. Tell us, how did you keep your spirits up? I don't know. I was just always the kind who wanted to be involved in everything. Uh-huh. And, uh, and my parents could, could, uh, could see very well that I was now being pushed to the sidelines and wasn't able to you know, interact the same way I used to with my friends. And um, and it was tough. And I did whatever I, and my parents worked very hard to get me involved in things, even if, even if it wasn't in the same capacity. And um, I don't know, I guess I've always been a fairly happy kid. <laughs> no matter well, that's what. good. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, would have, it would have been a nightmare if you would have been a sad kid, that's for sure. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, you know, all the people I know with dystonia have great outlooks, have, you know, you know, um, don't let it stop them. So, um, you know, I, I was happy with what I got. And uh, I have to say, my parents and my family were, were very good at uh, making sure. I got, I feel. Yeah, they tried their best to keep it. As, yes, yeah, yes. keep it as normal but, as possible. It was it was a tough, tough, tough spot to fill. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why, why do you think your family tried all those surgeries? My mom. Well, you know, she uh, nothing hard. Very little about dystonia was known, and not much more is known right now. Um, you know, the theory is it's a chemical imbalance um, in the part of the brain that controls muscles, and that uh, the brain may be kind of 
emitting too much of a certain chemical at a time when I'm not asking, my muscles aren't asking for it. So my mom thought, well, okay, if it's a chemical imbalance, you know, there's new drugs being created all the time. You know, it, uh, you know she had a, a great outlook on, <laughs> on uh, the future and uh, um, medication wasn't working and the doctor just said, hey, this is this, there is brain surgery and it could help. So since nothing else was helping, it was the next, next, uh, next uh, um, answer. So we went for it and finally after the second uh, slip up, whatever happened with my right or left arm, that finally that was over and we wouldn't resume any more surgery or brain surgery when we move on to a new chapter. Yeah. All right. Uh, are there any effective treatments or a cure or is, is surgery just the option? Uh, well, I guess it might depend on what kind of stoma you have. But for generalized, there's really no oral medication, although I've been taking oral medication for years. Um, there, no, um, some people, it just depends on their body if, if uh, something is going to work for, for them. Um, I'm sure everyone has heard about Botox injections. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, you hear a lot about it for medical or for cosmetic reasons, but years before it was ever ever out for cosmetic reasons, they were using it with dystonia. And uh, oh, I don't know what the stats are, but uh, some people it works very well. Some it doesn't work at all. Some it'll take a long time to start working. Um, I take. Uh, the shots now and sometimes I think it's working and sometimes I, I don't think it's doing anything at all so um, it's just really really hard for people to find something that's going to work for them and, yeah. like, and there is no cure or no real real you know oh take this it will work it's just take this because it might work <laughs> yeah you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Brenda, can can dystonia just go away? <laughs> well, um, you know, I don't know every case out there, but um, I don't think so. It it can lessen. It can remit for a while and then come back or come back in in a different way or a different part of your body. I think. Um, you know, there's, there's a, it's just something you, you can't tell, you can't predict. You, you can't predict. To, no, there's no predicting. In, in your book, uh, you said that dystonia can happen uh, to anyone. Yes. Uh, why, why did you say that? Okay, well, um, in my case, my dystonia is hereditary. I got it from my dad's genes. Um, I, my dad carried the gene, didn't have symptoms, but carried the gene. And I had a, he had a 50-50 chance of passing it on. And me and my sister both got the gene. Now, if you get the gene, that doesn't mean you've got dystonia, but there's a 30-40% chance you could develop symptoms and I, I developed symptoms and my sister didn't. So it's hereditary, but there are many people with different types of dystonia who have no medical history in their family of it. And uh, um, now you can only test for generalized dystonia to find a gene. So all the other dystonias, there's no way of telling that you have it, but people develop symptoms. So, you know, it can happen to anyone, uh, you know, even if it's not in their family. So, um, how, how long has that genetic test been around? Let's see, probably, hmm, 
Well, I'd say 20 years, give or take. Okay. Uh, not a long, not a long time, but. So if someone, if someone in the family has it, it probably would be. Yes. Uh, a good idea to get get tested. Yeah, yeah, I would say. And another thing is, we there was one other, is one other case in the family. It was my dad's cousin's son, and that. My dad wasn't close with that side of the family, but my mom had heard that there was a boy named Rob, distantly related, had some, you know, some affliction and didn't know what it was, but wondered if that maybe was what I had, and it turned out it was. And since that side of the family wasn't close with us, I, I met the guy once or twice, but... Uh, yeah, but we didn't know about it. They didn't share. Maybe they didn't even know it was hereditary. We don't know. But yeah, yeah but it is in our family. So will it show up again? We hope not. <laughs> it could skip generations. You know, it's it's similar to uh, breast cancer. What we face in, in the male breast cancer, uh, a lot of a lot of similarities with the you know okay. the genes and everything and. Yeah. How did how did society uh, treat disabled people back in the 70s and 80s? And how have things changed? Oh, well, I must say, uh, attitudes towards disabled have changed very much for the better. (laughs) Yeah, you know, if you're disabled, and you're with a friend, or another person, they kind of (laughs) The, the shopkeeper or wherever you were that would, you know, ask the able-bodied person a question and I'd be sitting right there and he asked someone else and, uh, or if a kid was staring at you, a parent would, you know, grab their arm and tell them don't stare and just go on and, and, uh, but people, people are, People are really great whenever I'm out, if I drop something or, or need help of any kind, usually there's someone there who will just jump up and help me and make conversation and, and treat, me, treat me like I'm a, a, real, a real person. So, so uh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. People, are, people really are great one-on-one, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> I think we're all kind of wondering, uh, did you have any close calls with accidents throughout the years? Well, <laughs> I'm, I move very awkwardly. Um, uh, well, no, nothing too bad. Uh, there is a story in my book about how I fell into a campfire. <laughs> I believe I read that. <laughs> yes, yeah, that that was. Uh, I think God intervened in that one for me. I I was in a real, real uh, sorry a rickety old wheelchair, and my drink was on the ground on the other side of the on the right side, and I was left-handed, and I reached over to grab my drink and. Right into the fire I went, and my friends were quick acting and pulled me out and rolled me down the hill and <laughs> hosed me down. And I, I had long red hair at the time, but I, I was in French parades. And I was in a hockey jacket, and uh, the hockey jacket uh, kind of melted, but it had an asbestos lining and that saved me from going up in flames. So that was a close call. Uh, I was so lucky not to be hurt or or have any terrible burns, but stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. a lot of times I'll be standing or if I do walk every once in a while, I do look very awkward and I give a lot of people great shocks when they think I'm going to going to be doing the nosedive, but for some reason, I, I don't fall. I can write myself, but yeah, yeah. I'm very awkward. 
Can you can you describe to us some of the daily things dystonia affects in your life? And what are some of the most frustrating things about living with the disease? Oh, well, it's a big struggle. Your muscles work against you. They just, they don't care where you are in what tight quarters you're sitting or anything like that. Um, um, let's see. Um, let's say, let's say putting on my shoes when I was young, shoes are designed now a lot better for comfort for you know putting on but uh, when my foot would clench up trying to put my shoe on could be a very emotional part of my day with my mom trying to like like balling up your fist and trying to put on a glove it's just it's not it's not, not gonna, not gonna work. work yeah or it will, it will work, but you've got to work at it. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, um, I, my, my hip kind of straightens out, which makes me lean backward. And then I twist and I, I wear a back brace. And when I twist my shirt or whatever I'm wearing, will will bunch up and twist around and I'm forever pulling my clothes back in the right direction and uh and just just uh I don't know I, I guess I'm so used to it now I don't don't see any of these things as the big problem that they are but those type of things are just just you know Frust- really frustrating somewhat <laughs> frustrating yeah 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 can so. you tell can you briefly tell our audience uh, the different forms of dystonia Okay, well, I hope I don't leave any out, but uh, you can get it in your neck where your neck is pulled to the side, pulled back, maybe tremor back and forth. You can get in your voice box where your, 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 your um, voice is very forced and very deep and very breathy. Um, you can get in your jaw and your tongue. I know a woman who's <laughs> uh, jaws clenched shut 24 7 uh, which really uh, you know the muscles on the side of her face are very painful because they're, they're strained all the time um, let's see you can get in your neck and your shoulder you can get in your eyelids where your eyelids will flutter or just snap shut at any given time and yeah, you're taken off guard by that. So sometimes you're you're considered legally blind, yet you can see perfectly well. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm probably forgetting a whole bunch of different things. But you wouldn't think all of these things would be related, and and yeah. you know, yeah. you know, all the one disorder. They all have their own own names, of course, but. Uh, it's just involuntary movement, yeah. All originally originating in the brain. Yes, yes. Uh, and I, you, go ahead. Um, one thing, I, I don't know this for sure, but I think dystonia is the only neurological disorder where there's absolutely nothing wrong with your muscles. It's just the, the signals that are being sent to the muscles. Whereas Parkinson's and MS, there's also degeneration of some sort within the muscle. Right. But Estonia, it's, it's not in the muscles at all. It's in the brain. Yeah. Can, can you tell our audience uh, who Rick Hansen is and how did he inspire you? Okay. Rick Hansen is a, a wheelchair athlete from Canada. He had a spinal cord injury to his back, which left him paralyzed from the waist down. He was an athlete, and he decided that uh, um, uh, paralysis and uh, uh, his affliction needed awareness, so he... um, 
he wheeled himself around the world to raise awareness and money for spinal cord research. And he was, he was, he was on his way to the end of his worldwide tour, going through Alberta, where I live, to BC, which is next uh, west of Alberta. And that's where his journey would end. And he was coming through town and we went to see him. I see him uh, give a little speech before he left for BC. And my mom and I went to, you know, just hear his speech and there were too many people around. So my mom took me out to, uh, to the highway and said, oh, well, well, just take your wheelchair out. You'll sit on the highway and wave, wave as he, as he goes by. And I thought, well, okay. Uh, so we were, but as he started to pick up momentum down the highway and just about past us, my mom pushed me out into the middle of the highway. <laughs> and uh, he, he didn't quite slow down, but he did say hello and ask me my name and and everything else. And I was I was just so embarrassed and and uh, everything else. But um, he gave me inspiration that uh, you know um, you know anything can be done. And uh, and uh, I I had been thinking about moving out on my own. Didn't really know how that would happen, but I was 20 years old at the time and was at home and not really doing a lot during the day yet. And I really wanted to start my independence. So he kind of helped me uh, towards that end. And uh, yeah, that was really- That's great. And, and that's really great to know that, that that one person at that one moment inspired you. You know, I mean, he, he made a difference. Yes, he did. Yeah, that was great. I was caught on camera and I was embarrassed to see myself on TV. Uh, I, I don't know why, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. tell, tell, tell us, how, how do you deal with, with the stress of this? I know there's got to be some stress. There's stress, yes. Well, you know, I take stress fairly well. I uh, I laugh a lot. I have a very quirky sense of humor. I, when I when I first moved out, I started to have insomnia and would get up late at night. And the only thing on TV worth watching was David Letterman, and uh, when he was still on the air, and I would continue this insomnia and watch. Uh, David Letterman, who has a very quirky sense of humor, so I think I caught a bit from him, but, um, you know, laughter very much helps, um, but, you know, it builds up and comes to a point uh, where I can get really mad at what's physically happening to me or, or socially or just really just it's built up to a point where I got just blow up and uh, I'll only do this when I'm on my own and no one was around, but I'll scream and I'll maybe throw a thing or two and get it all out of my system and, and, right. uh, and then it'll be gone for a few months anyway and it might happen again. And, but that's pretty well how I deal with it. Um, uh, yeah, uh, you just learn, learn, yeah. After all the all the time you learn to handle it better. Brenda, how is how is life for you now? How are things going right now? Well, things are going pretty good. Um, I for many years, like up to the age of eighteen, I would always see doctors, and I had a great orthopedic surgeon who would recommend doing certain surgeries or braces that he thought you know might help and um, um so but once you turn 18 you're kind of forgotten about that um, and uh but i i did go to a neurologist for a while and and stuff like that but i really wasn't tracked for a long time didn't go to doctors or anything else and 
And then I finally, a few years ago, thought, you know, I'd better start being proactive again, like my mom had been, you know, there's really probably nothing new out there that would help me, but um, let's take my, my uh, condition into my own hands. And so I've started going to physiotherapy. I have a therapist who deals in neurological disorders and, and uh, I go there every couple of weeks. And um, I'm really glad I started doing that because I'm stretching, I'm working my, my uh, right arm, which is my stroke arm. By the way, I, the stroke did take away my dystonic symptoms, but if I ever try to, to work either my arm or my leg back to being a bit stronger or, or uh, doing things a bit more normally, I kind of feel that tugging sensation within the muscles a bit. And that's very reminiscent of, my, of when dystonia started. So I, I don't do a lot with my right side, but now I'm doing uh, doing a bit more with it. I'm doing more exercises for my back. Uh, dystonia is quite in my torso. Um, and I, I'm pulled to one side, but I do have a brace that helps a great deal. But um, I'm, you know, going to physio and I'm getting Botox shots now. And I think they're helping my foot, if nothing else. That's good. Um, yeah, it doesn't clench up as as tightly and uh, you know as it did, and uh, it's a bit more relaxed. And uh, um, life's pretty good, pretty good. Um, well, that's good to hear. COVID, with COVID, I've spent spent a lot more time at home and sometimes slowing things down and staying at home is a good thing for me. I guess with age, I, I, I tire out a lot quicker and uh, takes longer to recuperate. So um, it's good that I have the chance to stay home and, and relax and uh, try to calm things down sometimes. <laughs> is that physiotherapy uh, helping? think it is yeah yeah I'm learning little 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 exercises that you know stretching stretching is very very important if if my you know you know my movement half of my movement probably isn't even dystonia if I'm being if one of my my leg or my hip or whatever want to pull me in one direction I do everything in my power to, to stretch and move in the other direction so uh, that, uh, you know, I'll loosen up and I, I uh, you know, can maybe help my posture a bit that way. So uh, I stretch a lot and uh, I'm learning different stretches to do at physio. So yeah, yeah, it's helping. You know, a, que a question comes to mind, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, is there any pain involved with having dystonia? You know what? Many, many, many people with dystonia classify it as painful. And I have to say, for me, it's not. And, That's good. And yeah, and you, you think with all the wear and tear, uh, that my muscles have put my body through over the years that I'd be in pain, but really I'm not. So I'm very thankful, but yes, a lot of people it's, it's painful and I can see why, uh, you know, being in my limbs, you can, you know, you can counteract the pulling easier than if it's in your neck, like if it's in your neck and your neck's pulling one way, well, to, yank it the other way it's right probably not going to be a smart thing to do so i'm i you know i'm lucky that i have dystonia where where i have it but a lot of people don't have that you know you know have an alternative way to do things and um, it, uh, i can see how it can be very painful and awkward yeah you know another question comes to mind uh 
How does how does the dystonia affect your sleep? Um, over the years, it's been 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 a problem. Um, you know, I I take a lot of medication. Actually, I'm coming off of medication right now. My doctor last time I had Botox said that with my age and the medication I'm taking that there's a good chance it could aid in dementia and I thought oh no we don't need <laughs> uh, that don't need that so I'm, I'm weaning myself off I'm, I'm probably not going to go off it all the way it does do a little bit but I certainly don't want dementia um but, uh, you know, I've always said to people, I think I sleep pretty well because I'm heavily medicated. But, um, yeah, at the moment, sleep is not a problem. It has been in the past. I, you know. Okay. So the movement, the move, the involuntary movements don't wake you up, in other words. No, no. And they, they do say that when you're asleep, dystonia, dystonia, stops <laughs> my mom and dad uh used to you know when i lived at home if they knew i was fast asleep they'd open the door and just look at me for a little while because i was just lying there peacefully you know yeah sure like that but uh yeah so it's it's strange that it would disappear when you're asleep i it's yeah. it's really yeah. strange <laughs> now now your parents said you never asked why me. What advice do you have for people out there facing their own challenges? Uh -huh. Oh, I, I don't think I'm a person who to give advice because, you know, everyone's so individualistic. What works for me is not necessarily going to work for anyone else. But I would say if you just keep going. It gets better, even if it doesn't get better. If you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, right. Keep yeah. going forward. Keep going forward. You know, I really believe someday there will be some breakthrough of some sort, and uh, and hey, it might be even after I'm <laughs> I'm gone from this earth, but. Um, you know, I, I believe there are better days ahead and, and we have to think that way or else you can get into a lot of, <laughs> a lot of yeah. you know, emotions that are difficult to deal with. And yeah, yeah. Well, Brent, <laughs> Brenda, yeah. tell us about your advocacy and what kind of support is out there today. Um, well, I am the president of the Edmonton Dystonia Support Group. Um, we used to have meetings, but they were never well attended and, uh, and people for some reason did not show up for them. But um, there is a support group in Edmonton and in every major city in North America and in Europe, uh, all over the place. Since my book has come out, I've, I've uh, met you know, people from Brazil and Finland and uh, England, et cetera, who have dystonia. And there's all sorts of support groups around the world. There's lots of literature, but there really isn't a lot, uh, a lot to learn because, um, you know, there's no effective uh, treatment. Um, so it doesn't yeah. seem like they're doing that much research. Is that what you're saying? Um, they are doing research, yes. Um, you know, at, I we do fundraising here in Edmonton too, and the person I fundraise with is phenomenal at raising money. And so we're sometimes, um, you know, individual researchers will ask for a grant. They might want to study a certain part of Estonia, and. Um, Sometimes there's more, more um, uh, people wanting grants than there is money to give out. So in that way, uh, this was a couple of years ago I heard this. So that's promising, but um, you know, it's, 
there still isn't that magic bullet out there yet. Yeah, no breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah, no breakthroughs. Brenda, Brenda, what excites you going forward? Hmm. What excites me going forward? Just the hope and the and the prayers that uh, something well there will be a breakthrough. But people, you know that are misdiagnosed or wrongly diagnosed for years with no diagnosis at all. If it just getting a diagnosis when you have gone for years without one, hey, <laughs> that can help a lot. Yeah. Okay, I'm not crazy. It's right. not all in my head. Um, that I've got something real and it's uh, going to be a real tough road but i know what it is now and uh and i can go from there and a lot like i say botox is a great help for a lot of people like i say you don't have statistics but um you know i hear a lot of people who get help by it to some degree or to a whole degree so mm -hmm. brenda how can people out there uh contact you Okay, well, I have e email addresses. I'm on Facebook under a twisted fate, my life with dystonia. Same with Instagram, it's a underscore twisted underscore fate. <laughs> um, Twitter, it, uh, it's at Curry Lewis, C U R R E Y L E W I S. Um, should I uh, say my email address? Brenda Curry9 at gmail.com. That's Brenda, B R E N D A C U R R E Y, and the number nine at gmail.com. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to list all of your contact information in the podcast notes. Oh, okay. And also on my Facebook page, I believe I have your book cover on there as well right now. So we're yeah we're gonna keep we're gonna keep promoting that for you, uh, Brenda. I just want to thank you for sh uh, coming on and sharing your story and explaining uh, to us what living with dystonia is all about, especially for people who maybe never heard of it or had no idea. You are uh, indeed an inspiration to all of us, and I wish you good fortune going forward. Oh, well, thank you, thank you, Ron. So, and I want to tell the audience, your comments and your suggestions to improve the podcast are always welcome. Our face, our website is www.itsarapwithrap.com. Our Facebook page is It's a Rap with Rap. And you can email us at itsarapwithrap at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Stay safe out there. And for now, it's a wrap. Mm -hmm.